The Ark of the Covenant has been a fascinating topic of study for Bible scholars, theologians, historians, archaeologists, and lovers of Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones for a long time. This sacred artifact has captured imaginations for centuries. But what was this mysterious chest? And why did it hold such profound significance for the people of ancient Israel? How was it built? What was it made of? And what was inside of it? Why was it so powerful? And how do we understand its enigmatic disappearance? Then there's the age-old question, will we ever lay eyes on the ark again? If so, what will that mean? Well, well, welcome, welcome, good of you to stop by. <laughs> welcome to the Beards of Bible podcast. Nice of you to uh, stop by and join us today. My name Thank is Josh, you. I'm joined as always by my good friend Gabe Rutledge. Gabe, how how you doing, man? Doing great, doing great. Um, my family has walked through quite the illness this past week. We have just oh, no. all been taking turns. I really the past week and a half, just something just just completely thrashed us. Uh, and I was, yeah, we're we're all just down for the count for a couple of days, but we're doing much better now. We're all on the mend. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that you weren't yeah. feeling well. I'm happy to hear that you're feeling better. Did you guys get any of this crazy weather? Any snow? Any ice? Anything crazy like that? No, no. We just got the cold. But yeah, I saw you guys had snow. That was cool. Oh, I'm jealous. No, it wasn't. I mean, it it was, but oh, yeah. it wasn't. Like we had two days where it was like, ah, isn't this cool, kids? And then last Wednesday, it was negative eight. As I woke up in the mm. morning. That's insane. I live in Tennessee. And you're only like. Yeah, you're like six, five hours, six hours north of me. Yeah. That's crazy. It should not that be crazy. this way. I don't live in South Dakota. I don't live in Canada. I live in Tennessee. And it's for good mm. reason, because I don't want to wake up and drive to work when it's negative eight. So, I have never been sub-zero temperatures. I don't think I've ever been anything below like 15 degrees. <clears throat> you know, it's an interesting thing. I think what was so interesting is like you'd be outside and you'd take a deep breath in through your nose and you could feel your snot freezing. That's a new phenomena. Hmm. Hmm. So, I don't know. Is that a good thing or bad thing? I don't know how that would feel. <laughs> it's just weird. To all our listeners in Canada right now, you guys are probably enjoying this because here we are, hmm. a bunch of Yanks talking about how cold weather is not conducive. But uh, yeah, we survived. I, I was a little bit um, cabin fever y, if that's a word, mm -hmm. by day three. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's definitely a word. Yeah, cabin fevery cabin feverish so yeah we got to come in and out we my truck has four-wheel drive so my wife and i were able to uh swap shifts in the truck she had mm. some patients she had to go see and so yeah it was good but uh i'm little hu little humble brag there with your four-wheel drive <laughs> well i mean you know no big deal it's a four-wheel drive f-150 <laughs> mm. mark yeah that's <laughs> uh, stupid no I'd, I'd be uh terrified to think of southern alabamians driving with those kinds of conditions snow on the ground we just it'd be an apocalypse <laughs> it, it kind of is that way here like we still yeah. have road closures here a week after the storm because we got this heavy snowstorm that hit us sunday monday tuesday 
And then we had sub-zero temps and temperatures in the single digits and low teens all week. So nothing really melted. It just froze. Mm. So there was just like sheets of ice that were like six inches thick on all the roads. And uh, yeah, a lot of people just didn't leave their house. Um, mm-hmm. Some people that tried to leave their house ended up stuck on the side of the road. But uh, yeah, fortunately, it's did you guys, melting. Did you guys... Uh... Eat some bread and soup and get all fat and sassy. sassy. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the worst part about it. It's not bad. I mean, it's good. It's not bad. So we, every year as a church, we do a 40 day fast, Mm -hmm. which is great. Praise the Lord. Fasting Mm. and praying together as a church family. I'm all about that. It just so happens the first 10 days of this 40 day fast, most of us give up sweets and meats and all things secular media. So when you're snowed in and all you can watch is like the chosen and touched by an angel, mm-hmm. that's a fast, fast track for, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it just made it more difficult. I'm not, nothing against the chosen and touched by an angel, but you know, which by the way, touched by an angel, mm-hmm. I'm not calling secular media cause you know, Oh yeah. That's definitely <laughs> theologically, <laughs> On the up and up, that's a very. I mean, we make all of our new members watch <laughs> season first one, season yeah. touched by Angel, just to get them acclimated into our belief in our core values. Mm, you know? Yes, yes. Well, well, Gabe. Mm, uh, no. Today for our um, uh, episode, wait, do you, do you mm. hear that music? Mm-hmm, yeah. What's that? What are we talking about today? Do you know? Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Could it be? Oh, look, it's Harrison Ford. Harrison, what are you doing here? Mm. Wait, we could really get Harrison Ford in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. I just had my boys sit down and rewatch. We watched the uh, the scene in Indiana Jones. Which one was it? Where the, uh, the the army tank scene where they're fighting on top of the army oh, tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that Raiders of the Lost Ark? That's the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was such a good scene. <laughs> Did you see the new one just came out? No, not that just came out. I saw the one with the aliens, the one before this okay. one. Okay, the one that just came out. The new, new one. Um, the Dial of Destiny. We watched that before our secular media fast, and uh, it mm. was... Just kind of slipped it in there Yeah, right man, that. we were like trying to get through all these movies before it started, you know? So <laughs> just watched movies for yeah. a straight six days. Very spiritual of you. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Ate all the junk food. No. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was okay. It was... I mean, if you like Indiana Jones, it's Indiana Jones, but... Uh, it was, it was yeah. campy, it was cheesy, but it was fun, you know? Okay. Yeah. So today, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And the mm-hmm. first Indiana Jones movie, if you've not seen it, is all about Indiana Jones trying to rescue the Ark, which is lost to antiquity from the Nazis, who are on a quest to capture all the sacred relics of the world because those Nazis are greedy. And uh, yeah, I think renewed a lot of interest in this thing called the Ark of the Covenant from a lot of people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What was the Ark of the Covenant? What was it made of? What was inside of it? Spiritual significance of it. And and really the age-old question, where did it go? Hmm. Because Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, in the end of that movie, you you know where the Ark went. Remember? Yeah, it went into a warehouse. 
<laughs> the CIA archives. Yeah. Warehouse. <laughs> CIA archives. Yeah. So if it is in a warehouse in the CIA archives, um, our apologies, because I don't think we mentioned that theory today. So, um, yeah, mm. so that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Gabe, um, you want to read Exodus 25, 10 through 22? This is the first mention that we have in the scriptures of the ark, of God commanding yeah. the people of Israel to make an ark, and then we'll kind of just talk about talk about it. Yeah, Exodus 25, 10 to 22. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put the ark, put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover and, I'm sorry, at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put it put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will, I will meet with you and give you all the commands for the Israelites. Very good. Very good. I'll give you about a B plus for that reading. Good job. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the first mention in scripture we have of God telling the people of Israel to build an ark. <clears throat> so an ark was basically a box or a chest, if you prefer that word. And we just read the dimensions are two and a half cubits in length. So cubit is about 18 inches. So, Gabe, you work construction, so that's what, 36, that's 42 inches? How many feet is 42 inches? How many feet is 42 inches? Man, I I, have I worked construction, therefore don't have to know math. <laughs> that's a, no, but 40, if somebody's like... 42. Okay, hang on, let's yeah, see. It's three and a half three feet. Three and a half feet, okay. Feet. Yeah. All right. So yeah, wow! <laughs> Didn't know I was going to get quizzed today. <laughs> One and a half cubits like, in height, so that would be twenty-four inches, and one and a half cubits mm. in width. So again, twenty-four inches. So honestly, the ark was probably a little bit smaller than what we see in Indiana Jones, right? <sighs> Lies. Because <laughs> I mean, in in Indiana Jones, it seems like the ark is, you know. Eight foot long, yeah. three foot wide, it's this massive thing. And yeah. in reality, the, the ark was probably a little bit smaller if we look at the dimensions biblically. But what essentially was the ark? Why was why did God say to the people of Israel, build this ark? And why was it so important to him? Hmm. Sounds like that's kind of like his throne, so to speak, on earth, like at the meeting place where he would then dwell. Like it was such a such a sacred, holy 
place on earth once again, post the fall of man, hmm. where his presence could actually reside and, and communicate with, with the Israelites. So that was in the holy place in mm-hmm. the tabernacle. And the only people that could go in the holy place were, was really one person, the high priest of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Once a year on the day of atonement. And there at the ark, it wasn't just this box with this elaborate gold stuff in between the two cherub. That's where the glory of God would reside that the priest would witness. Is that correct? Is that what we're kind of understanding Mm -hmm. the biblical text? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really interesting thing to think through. Like it's not just a box. It's not just a chest. It is a, um, it's a place where God says, I'm going to meet with you here in this place. It's pretty fascinating. Interesting to think Mm -hmm. through. Yeah. I know in the last episode you you had talked about how the Shekinah glory or the the you know visible manifest presence of God would lift from the holy place and be like a cloud and move. So just curious, when the ark was <clears throat> was going into battle and things like that, um, was there any tangible representation of God's presence, or was it just a chest? Hmm. You're asking like when when the Israelites would go into battle against their enemies as they're in the wilderness, would there be any like the Shekinah, would it rest on the Ark yeah. of the Covenant? Hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. Good question. Uh, and I don't think, so I don't think the, the Shekinah was covering or inhabiting the Ark of the Covenant as it was being transported at all. Mm. But rather they were following that, that, Shekinah where it led them. Um, and then once they got there, there then thing. the Shekinah would come and rest on the ark in between the... Yeah, gotcha. yeah once the ark okay. was reconstructed. Um, there is this prayer <clears throat> that's prayed in synagogues. It's uh, uh, it's Numbers 10, 35. When the ark would travel, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let them th- that hate you flee from before you. And... um. So th- there's like this ironic prayer that's prayed by the priest that, yeah, when it was it was time to move, it was like, we're either going to go to war or if people hate us and don't choose to go to war with us, may they flee from before before you in your presence. So hmm. it does seem that there is this like visible, like the enemies of God would see this visible presence yeah. approaching. So well, where it is, where it was in relation to the camp of Israel. I'm not there sure. is a... Uh... It's in our show notes somewhere. We'll get to it here in a minute. But there's a, a Mishnah or a Midrash that talks about mm. um, what the the oral tradition was for what happened as the mark as the ark moved and what was mm. coming out of it. So we'll, I guess we'll get to that. But that'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what was it made of and what was inside of it? So it was constructed out of this specific type of wood. And Gabe, how do you say that again? It's I've always said a acacia. acacia. I was, sometimes I say acacia, but acacia wood. So. Um, mm. I don't know if there's any special significance of that other than it was just a very uh, special type of wood, perhaps. Um, It was plated with pure gold, both on the inside and the out. And then based on the description that we have in the book of Exodus that Gabe read, at the bottom of the box, there were four gold rings attached. And through two of those, or through those gold rings, two poles 
they were also made of acacia coated in gold and were put. And it was only a certain family. And I guess we talked about this last episode. That was the only family that could mm-hmm. carry the ark and they would do so using these poles on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. So that was the family of Kehath. Wasn't it? Yeah. Like Kohath or something. <coughs> Kohathite. Yeah. The Kohathites. Kohathites. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, uh, some of the stuff from the show notes I got from a, uh, a Jewish library website. So sometimes our, our Goy Bible reads a little different than the, uh, hmm. than the, uh, Hebrew transliteration. So, so covering the box was, and this is a, a Hebrew term. Again, I got this from a, uh, uh, a Jewish library. Say that word for me. Kaporet? Kaporet. Uh, Kaporet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just means covering. This is like where we get the day Yom Kippur. Okay. The day of covering. Mm-hmm. The day it's like a just a cover. <clears throat> okay. So two and a half by one and a half cubits. We talked about that. And then attached to the covering or the Kaporet were two sculpted cherubs also made of pure gold. Now, what is a cherub? Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's like a winged creature. It's not. It's not um, a naked baby angel that shoots you with an arrow on Valentine's Day. No. <laughs> in fact, isn't um, isn't the last time? Where was the last time we saw cherubim, cherubim? Uh, <clears throat> well, before this. Before this would be in the Garden of Eden. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, huh. I guess you got to think like God's commanding the people to build this box and put this creature, I guess a a physical symbol of these creatures, which the last time we heard about that creature was back in the book of Genesis, where God was, that was the last time God dwelt with us as humanity. Hmm. So it's like, it's supposed to be this visible, visible reminder that we're going into a space now that is so holy that God can dwell there again. But there's still this risk factor involved with it, just like the Caribbean are guarding the the way to the garden hmm. uh, because of our sin. It's like there's still this uh, inhibition, you know, to God's presence that is guarding this this box. Yeah, uh, that's Genesis three twenty four. Uh, we'll start in verse twenty three. The Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So hmm. interesting. So between Genesis, the next time you see cherub or cherubim mentioned, is that when God says to build the ark? Yeah, yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And th- and there's all kinds of like garden imagery. As you walk into the tabernacle, there would have been a tree, which was the menorah, mm-hmm. like which symbol of like the tree of life. Um, you know, there would have been these different levels of the garden, its levels of holiness and... Um, yeah, it would have been like you're walking back into the Garden of Eden, in a sense, backing back into the presence again. So interesting, huh? Yeah. So the contents of the Ark has has really been, you know, debated through the centuries. Initially, what was to be placed in the Ark, and that's what we read in the ex- Book of Exodus, is the Ten Commandments, um, the first tablets containing the Ten Commandments, the ones that were broken by Moses, and then the second tablets, which remained intact. Um, and then the book of Hebrews also mentions what else would have been in the ark. And that would have been the gold jar of manna and Aaron's staff that budded. Hmm. Um, 
So rabbis will often <clears throat> debate and speculate, you know, what was exactly in the ark. Um, and I got in our show notes, according to one opinion, the Talmud, both tablets were together in the ark. According to another, there were two arks and each contained one set of tablets. Um, I, it seems that there's just one ark, but exactly if it was both tablets or just one, I don't know if we're ex- explicitly told, but nonetheless, you had the tablets of the law, gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded. They're inside the ark. So what what was like, I mean, this just kind of seems to us in 2024 as Westerners when we think about, okay, so God wants to commune with his people again. Even though his people sinned, he still says, I want to meet with you. Like, why does he do it through an ark? Like, that's just kind of an odd thing hmm. to use. So like, what was the spiritual significance of an ark? Like why why the ark? <laughs> I guess is a better yeah. way to ask it. Yeah, well, I think I think it just speaks number one to the strong desire God has to dwell with His people and His presence be, be in the presence of His people. It's like um, when you package the ark with the tabernacle as a whole, it's like this. It's remembering the fall of humanity, but also it's a path of atonement and reconciliation through this like symbolic walk back into the garden. So that's kind of the spiritual significance of it, but it's like, um, you know, and the, the reassurance that God is with us as a people as we are going through our wanderings. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously like the day of atonement is really big <laughs> in Jewish worship mm-hmm. and the ark would have played a pretty significant role in the day of atonement. Correct. Right, right, yeah. How how would the Ark have played into the Day of Atonement? What did the Ark do on the Day of Atonement? Um, so that was the one day that anyone could go into the Holy of Holies, like the high priest, and so uh, he would sprinkle the blood of um, these this this goat, you know, on the on the the Ark of the Covenant on the and it was considered like the mercy seat, and so hmm. that was the day when the collective sins, even even the intentional sins of all of Israel were atoned for and covered through that day. And that the epicenter of that was the Ark of the Covenant. Um, there's even like this question that the rabbis pose, you know, because Jews pray three times a day and they face towards the city of Jerusalem when they pray, just like Daniel prayed three times facing the city of Jerusalem. The question is asked, well, what if you're in Jerusalem, where do you face? You they, they answer, well, you face towards the temple. What if you're in the temple, where do you pray? You pray towards the Holy of Holies. What if you're in the Holy of Holies, where do you <laughs> pray? You pray facing the, the Ark of the Covenant. So it's like, since its creation, the Ark of the Covenant has been the epicenter of of the people of Israel's very existence, you know, their spiritual <laughs> um, connection with God, I guess. Yeah. It's like this portal, you know, back to the presence. That's a very interesting way to to think about it. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this earlier, <clears throat> but practically speaking, like God would use the ark as an indicator of when he wanted the nation to travel and when to stop. And so in the traveling formation in the desert, the book of numbers tells us that the ark was carried 2000 cubits ahead of the nation. And this is what I was talking about earlier. There was one midrash and I just found this so interesting <laughs> as I was studying that mm-hmm. said the ark would clear the path for the nation of Israel by burning snakes 
scorpions and thorns with two jets of flame that shot from his underside. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And another Midrash says that rather than being carried by its bearers, the Ark, in fact, would carry its bearers inches above the ground. So the bearers would just float. Of course, a Midrash is, is basically rabbinic tradition. Is that correct? Yeah, and much of it's not supposed to be taken like literal. It's a lot of like just kind of, uh, I don't know, allegory, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to teach us like a deeper lesson about but that's kind of the rabbinic way of teaching these deep things, but yeah. sometimes it can be taken literal too. Right. But Yeah, I just kind of thought that funny and interesting at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it's like that, remember that that old uh, uh, like daytime television commercial that come on in between like for like price is right and it was like this weed eater thing that you could uh you could buy and it would just like destroy oh, yeah, 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 the yeah. yard and <laughs> like uh the brush it's some kind of brush brush yep, thing yep, yep, yep. Know, but that's yeah. reminding <laughs> that was the arc oh, yeah it's gonna drive me crazy no i know ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about that's funny uh so often the israelites would when they'd go into war during the, the conquest of canaan the ark would go with them and there are a lot of different commentators who debate whether or not the presence of the Ark was symbolic that provide motivation for the Jews or whether or not it was a, you know, a supernatural, um, like it actually aided them in the fighting. Mm-hmm. So commentators mm-hmm. seem to go back and forth debating that, whether or not, you know, that was it just a symbol that, Hey, God is with us or whether or not like God actually manifested because of the Ark, you know, they go mm-hmm. back and forth on that. Um, but yeah, spiritually, like we've said, the manifestation of God's presence, um, on earth, the Shekinah. And when God spoke with Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert, he did so from between the two cherubs. And like we've said, it was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol. Did I say that right? The high priest. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. would go into the Holy of Holies and he would make atonement there on the mercy seat. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot to deal, there's a lot to deal with when you look at like this word Shekinah, which I don't think Shekinah is actually, is it in the Bible, that word Shekinah, or is that just a Hebrew word to try to... No, it's not. Okay. No, no. But it comes from the root Shekinah, which means to dwell. Okay. So <clears throat> the presence of God, this Shekinah glory was seen... Uh, really through clouds. And so when you start looking at the ark, there's always kind of a mention of clouds. God spoke between the cherubs. There's a glowing cloud visible there. That's Exodus 40. Um, When the Jews traveled, they were led by the ark and a pillar of clouds. That's Numbers 10. At night, that pillar of clouds was replaced by a pillar of fire. That's Exodus 24. Uh, I thought this was super interesting. When the high priest entered the presence of the ark on Yom Kippur, he did so only under the cover of a cloud of incense perhaps mm. intended to mask the sight of the Shekinah and all its glory. Mm. So, yeah. So the Shekinah is so powerful, so glorious, so great that he had to go in through a cloud of incense. So I thought that was really interesting. But we also, because we've watched Indiana Jones a lot, we know that the Ark is so uh, dangerous for those who come in contact with. So in Indiana Jones, mm. they try to open it. and That guy's face melts off. You remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'll try opening the ark. Uh, <laughs> so we first hear about um, Nadav and Evihu. Again, that's the Hebrew way 
I think the the Goy Bible is Nadab and Abihu. So <laughs> Shekinah the Shekinah glory. glory of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, these two sons of Aaron. This is such an interesting, such an interesting story. Leviticus ten. It says they mm-hmm. they brought a foreign flame, or some translations say strange fire, to offer yeah. a sacrifice in the tabernacle. Tabernacle, and they're devoured by a fire that emanated from the Lord. What in the world is going on with that story? What is the strange mm-hmm. fire they tried to bring in? What does that mean? Some there are a lot of different commentary on this, but some people say that they were drunk. Hmm. Some people said that they were actually fornicating with one another in the presence of God. Ugh. Some people say that they came in, they came in at the wrong time. Uh, that it should have been, you know, they they try to enter the holy of holies at a day that wasn't that wasn't Yom Kippur. They just no one really knows for sure. But it's like they they basically stepped outside the prescribed way of entering God's presence. Hmm. And so the Bible calls that strange it. fire or foreign fire. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it is. So that's like one of the things you see about, okay, don't, don't come near the ark if you're not coming in the way that God has told you to come near the ark. And in the mm-hmm. book of first Samuel, the ark is captured by the Philistines and everywhere the ark goes, bad things happen to the Philistines. Um, First Samuel seems to indicate there was tumors that broke out, but um, rabbinic tradition says those tumors were actually hemorrhoids. Do you remember this mm. story? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, uh, it's placed in the Temple of Dagon in Philistia, and the idol of Dagon is found face down with its head cut off. And then the Ark is sent back, and some very curious... Uh, Jews decide they're going to look inside the ark and 80 of them are struck down by its power. Um, some translations say it was more than that. And so, yeah, um, there's all of this stuff about like, man, the ark is the place where the glory of God dwells. And because it is that place, if you go in an unauthorized manner, if you go on your own terms, if there's sin in your heart, there's sin in your life, you're not ritually pure, you will be struck dead how powerful God is, right? Hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, a very prominent role in the people of Israel's worship. So what happened to it? Hmm. Well, let's look at a timeline. We first hear of the ark in the book of Exodus, and the ark travels with the tabernacle. And then after they enter into the land of Canaan, that tabernacle gets set up in Shiloh. That's Joshua 18. And then you get into the book of 1 Samuel. And during the priesthood of <coughs> Eli, some of Eli's sons, Hopni and Phinehas, they are wicked, wicked men. Which, by the way, when my brother and I were being bad, my dad would call us Hopni and Phineas. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's what happens when your dad's in seminary when you're born. Um, mm. So Hopna and Phineas decide they're going to take the Ark into battle as like a good luck charm, as like a lucky rabbit's foot. Mm. And they don't win the battle, surprisingly. And the Ark gets captured, taken to Philistine territory. Like we said, it does not uh, go well in Philistia for the people who have the Ark. They keep sending it from city to city to city to city. Everywhere the Ark goes, bad things happen. They put it in the temple of Dagon. Their God's head gets broken off. 
And so the Philistines say, enough of this. We're going to send it back. So they send it back to Beth Shemesh. That's the place where the people, so they, they want to look inside the ark. They do. 80 of them are struck down. And then the ark gets transported to Kiriath Jerim, and it stays there for 20 years. Are you following me so far? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then David ascends to the throne, and David wants to go get the ark. And he goes and gets the ark, and they bring it to Jerusalem. Everybody's super excited. Yeah, he's dancing. I think this is when he's dancing in the linen ephod. Is that right? Mm, yeah, I okay. think so. And there's our oral pal, Uzzah. Which, if you and Stacey are looking for a baby name, Uzzah's a good one. Mm, Uzzah. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Uzzah? Uh, so the ark is about to fall, and Uzzah reaches out to try to steady the ark. And he's instantly struck dead. And so David is deeply, deeply, deeply troubled by this. And he's scared of the ark. So instead of him bringing it to Jerusalem, he decides he's going to leave it in somebody's home. And there's a guy who offers to let the ark stay in his home. And his name is Mm Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom for three months has the ark in his home. And Obed-Edom is like blessed like crazy because of the ark in his home. Which is pretty crazy to think about. <laughs> you have the like mm. presence of the God of Israel in your home. Mm. And yeah. wild. so three months later, it's moved to Jerusalem and then it's placed in Solomon's temple once Solomon builds the temple. So Gabe, then then what happens next? Well, h- how long is it in Solomon's temple before what happens next? Hmm. Uh well, we could do the math. Of... I don't know. That's a good question. When was it moved let's, into? Let's when was it moved into the temple? I know, I know, I know. It was um, the temple was destroyed in five eighty six. So we'll look up Solomon's temple when it was built. Yeah, yeah. I know the Babylonians came in in five eighty six. Oh, nine fifty seven. So yeah, it was there for almost four hundred years. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the wow. temple is there. Or, yeah, the Ark is there in the temple from 957 to 586, so over 400 years it's wow. there. And then what happens next? Oh, the Babylonians come in, and they <clears throat> destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple on the 9th of Av, 586. Yeah, the Babylonians made a list of what they took, um, but oddly enough, they don't mention this the holiest object in all of all of Israel, the nation that they're conquering, hmm. um, which leads, this is where we get into speculation world here. Yeah. But according to some, um, they say Josiah, who was one of the final kings to reign during that first temple period, he knew of the impending invasion of the Babylonians and he hid the ark. Hmm. Um, you know, where he hid it is questionable, but some people say that like one Midrash says that he dug a hole under the wood storehouse on the Temple Mount and buried it there. It's, it's not impossible. It, there's actually a um, really interesting YouTube video by a couple that live in Israel named Sergio and Rhoda, and they actually um, found a bunch of cool photographs and journals from this British archaeologist that went in and started, um, he heard that the Temple Mount was being uh, like rebuilt or some of, some of the renovations were mm-hmm. happening below the Dome of the Rock. 
So he went and just started taking photos after photos of photos and all these different renovations before they finished it. And he, um, he published all those and you can look them up, but in under the, the dome of the rock and in the temple Mount are all kinds of tunnels and, um, wells and, and, uh, cisterns and stuff. So it's, it's not impossible <laughs> caves. Um, but yeah, check that out on Sergio and Rhoda. They do a whole video yeah. on that. Um, but, but another account says that Solomon foresaw the eventual destruction of the temple and hid the Ark of the Covenant in a cave near the Dead Sea. Um, which is, they say, some people say in which Josiah eventually hid the Ark. Okay. Well. So he made a cave for the yeah. Ark because he knew someday it was right. going to, and then Josiah said, okay, this is the time he's going to hide the Ark. Okay. Yeah. 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 Huh. Um, the other theory <clears throat> is that the Babylonians just destroyed it, you know, like, like gold has a pretty low melting temperature. Mm-hmm. Maybe it burned and melted in the fire and they just cut pieces off of it and took it with them when they looted the temple. Yeah. Hmm. Well, from there, that's when we get into some really, really creative and interesting <laughs> options. And hmm. this is where it gets fun. Cause you know, the truth is we don't know, right? I mean, the temple's destroyed and the ark is never really mentioned again. Um, we don't really hear of the ark uh, when the exiles come back to the city of Jerusalem, like in Ezra and Nehemiah, right? They rebuild the temple, kind of, but it's not the same, and you don't really hear about the ark. Um, <clears throat> obviously, in Jesus' day, there's no ark in the Herodian temple and on the Temple Mount. Um, I, I have, have, have this is the question I've got. If there was no ark mm-hmm. during the days of the rebuilt temple during the time of Jesus, uh, where would they take the sacrifices in Yom Kippur? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Just, I, I have no idea. That is a really good question. Um, I've always wondered that because there was the holy place, right? Because we read about mm-hmm, that in Luke's mm-hmm, gospel. Yeah. That's where uh, yeah, Zechariah goes into the holy place on the day of atonement. But what was in the holy mm. place if the ark wasn't in it? I don't know. Maybe they just did like a whole dress rehearsal or maybe it was there and it yeah. was just so under wraps that when they saw that the Romans were going to destroy the temple, maybe they took it back to whatever hiding spot they, they retrieved That's it from. an interesting but, option. Hmm. Hmm. Well, then there's the Ethiopian option. So in a place called Axum, Ethiopia... It is widely believed that the Ark is currently being held in the Church of St. Mary of Zion, guarded by a monk who is known as the Keeper of the Ark, who claims to have it in his possession. And so according to the Christian community there in the city of Axum, the Ark was acquired during the reign of Solomon when Solomon's son, Melinic, whose mother was the Queen of Sheba, stole the Ark after a visit to Jerusalem. Hmm. Which that'd be a very interesting item to steal. I, I don't know how yeah. you'd get away with that. Like how, was you going to the Holy of Holies and swipe it and somehow not get struck dead? And then, so, uh-huh. yeah. So anyway, that's their theory because the Queen of Sheba was Ethiopian. And we read in the Bible that she goes to uh, Jerusalem during the glory days of Solomon. And um, so I guess according to Ethiopian tradition, um, 
the Queen of Sheba from Ethiopia and Solomon had a son together. And then, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he stole the ark. So, hmm. so this Christian group in the not so distant past brought the ark out for Christian holidays, but that has not happened for several years due to the uh, tumultuous political situation in this part of the country. So the tricky part about the Ethiopian option is there's a long history of Ethiopian Christians and monks saying that we have the ark, we have the ark, we have the ark, but we're not going to let you see it because there's only one holy man in this order who can see the ark and he can't actually see the ark, but he knows where it's at. It's like behind this structure in this room, but it's so holy. He can't go in. He can take it out only certain parts of the year, but we've not done that in a long time. But just trust us. We have the ark. (laughs) So (laughs) on a scale of one to 10, how likely do you think the Ethiopians have the ark? Hmm. I'm going to give it a solid two to three. Yeah, me too. If I had to place a bet. Me too. Yeah. And then there is what Gabe was mentioning earlier, the Temple Mount option. So there's an archaeologist named Lynn Rettmeyer who conducted research on the Temple Mount and inside the Dome of the Rock, and he claims to have found the spot on the mount where the Holy of Holies was located during the first temple period. And the precise center of that spot is a section of bedrock cut out in dimensions that may match uh, those of the Ark as reported in Exodus. And so what Rittmeyer has postulated is that the Ark is still there. It is just buried deep inside the Temple Mount. And an excavation is probably never going to be allowed on the Temple Mount inside the Dome of the Rock, because that is a highly, highly, highly sacred spot for both Muslims and uh, Jews. And so Hmm. Muslim and Israeli authorities are never going to let that happen. So, you know, it may be sitting right under our very eyes. If you see pictures of Jerusalem and you see the Dome of the Rock, maybe you're looking at the Ark. Hmm. Who knows? And and Gabe, this this tends to be like where maybe you lean. Is that where you think maybe the Ark would be? Yeah, I mean, if I was the high priest and I saw an army, or if I knew that there was a good chance the army would encircle my city, I'd probably go ahead and start constructing a, a tunnel network beneath <clears throat> beneath that mm-hmm. spot and finding you know ways to conceal that. Um, yeah, I think that's most likely. But what what happened? Yeah. Okay. So on a scale of one to ten, this theory, this option is what for you? An eight or okay. nine. That's pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got mm. the Ethiopian option. We've got the Temple Mount option. Then there is the Egyptian option, or as I like to call the Dr. Jones option, because this mm. is where Indiana Jones goes looking in Raiders of the Lost Ark in Egypt. And this is from the book of First Kings. It says, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, King of Egypt, which if you're looking for another baby name for your <laughs> your kid, Shishak. Shishak. Come here, baby. Shishak. Shishak? He, he's, <laughs> he's in the, in the Shishak. 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 Shishak, King of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. This is what the Bible says happened when this King of Egypt attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, mm. including all of the gold shields Solomon had made. 
So that's interesting. So if he took everything, does that mean he also took the ark? And if he would have taken the ark, he would have taken it back to the capital city at the time of Egypt. That would be the city of Tanis. So there you go. That's a that's a possible option that before the temple was destroyed, when this attack from the king of Egypt happened, as he raided the temple, he yeah. took the ark with him. What do you think about that option? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, not impossible. Okay. There is the... Okay, so we're doing the scale. Scale of 1 to 10. Where, where does this one fall? The the Egyptian options. The Dr. Jones option. Uh, solid. <laughs> no, I, we found it. I'd say a 6. Or, six For me, like a 6 okay. or 7. Yep. Okay. I don't know. I have no idea there. Yeah, I think 6 or 7 is probably a pretty reasonable one. Because I think that if the Ark had really been stolen, there would probably be more of a lament from the people of Israel. Because yeah. when we read in First Samuel, the ark was gone. Eli is so upset, he falls off his chair and dies, right? So right, I think right. there'd probably be more of a mention that the ark is taken. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So there's the Mount Nebo option, which is that the prophet Jeremiah hid the ark in a cave on Mount Nebo. Second Maccabees 2, verses 4 through 10, seems to allude to this. So the prophet Jeremiah is the weeping prophet who is warning the people of Israel that the city of Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And so maybe he knows destruction is imminent. Maybe he also knows that there is a previous prophecy Solomon made that someday the temple is going to get destroyed and the ark is going to go away. And he knows there's a cave. And so he takes the ark and he hides it in that cave on Mount Nebo. And it may still be there and we don't know where it is. It's a cave in Mount Nebo. So... Hmm. There's an option there. Yeah. So your scale gives that a what? One to ten. I'd say six or seven okay. as well. It's yeah, viable. that's a viable option. Yeah. I'm not opposed to that. Um, and then there's one where the ark was taken up to heaven. <laughs> it hmm. just interesting. It just got taken right up. Got just raptured. got raptured. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Um, well, I'll tell you why people say that it was taken up to heaven, and I'll tell you what I think about it. So in Revelation chapter 11, John sees the ark. So we mentioned this the last episode. He sees the ark, and he sees the ark at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And that's a significant milestone of the book of Revelation, because the seventh trumpet is like the last one. All of the final events leading up to the return of Jesus, the establishment of the earthly kingdom. Um, it's not really a single event. There's like the final fury of God's judgments, the final harvest of judgment, the lamb defeating the kings of the earth, the battle of Armageddon. All of that is inaugurated at the sounding of the last trumpet. And so the trumpet sounds and John sees the Holy of Holies open up in heaven. And what does he see inside the Holy of Holies? He sees the ark. Right. So as far as I know, and Gabe, you can correct me if I'm wrong or somebody can send me an email if I'm wrong. Outside of the book of Hebrews, it's the only mention of the Ark in the New Testament, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. So you can send me an email if I'm wrong, if you find a verse where it's at. And so he sees the Ark, and it's this 
picture of the communion of God with humanity. So it's a place of blood sacrifices, God's communication with humanity. There's the tablets. This is where the priests would meet with God, God's provision for humanity, the place where the manna is there, God's willingness to fight for humanity. There's Aaron's staff. And so what was significant about John seeing that is people of Israel probably thought like, you know, we sinned and rebelled against God. Our temple got destroyed. Like, I guess we're, God's just done with us. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ark and John sees it, but we got to understand what John is seeing is a prophetic apocalyptic vision. Mm-hmm. Right. And really, I don't know if we could say that the ark is literally there in heaven because the ark isn't needed anymore in heaven because that is the place of God's dwelling. So really what John sees when he sees the ark is a symbol that everything that was lost in the fall is going to be restored and remade. Hmm. So I don't think the ark got raptured and is up in heaven. That's just me. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's talking symbolically there. Yeah. So of all of those theories, I think the one that I find most plausible is really two. Probably the most plausible is that it was destroyed by the Babylonians and just melted down. Hmm. And then the second option is maybe it's on the Temple Mount. Maybe it's like at the Dome of the Rock. That'd be option two for me. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, you're you're Yeah, yeah. I think I'm I'm either it's in the in the Temple Mount somewhere. I, you know, I've been in these like tunnels and stuff that go around the outskirts of the Temple Mount. It's it's a there is a vast network of tunnels that go around and through the mm-hmm. Temple Mount. But uh yeah, I think it's there or it those tunnels were used to evacuate the and hide the uh the ark elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. What about like it got destroyed? Do you feel like that's a... I, I actually think that's less likely because this is the holiest object in all of is Israeli religion and I feel like that would have been cared for more so than just let the Babylonians just come in and yeah. burn it down. So maybe it would have been made yeah. into a bigger deal in the scriptures if it had been... Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it would have been somewhere in archaeological or, or like historical evidence somewhere of it being yeah. destroyed. Hmm. So, as we land the plane, will we ever see the Ark again? Dun, dun, dun. Mm. So, Second Kings 24 says, Nebuchadnezzar carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord. Solomon, king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. So destruction of the temple, destruction of the holy things. But then, Gabe, you mentioned the scripture in the last episode, Jeremiah 3. You mm-hmm. want to read that for us and maybe talk about what that means? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mentioned it because people come to me sometimes and ask me about, and I just remind them of this passage, Jeremiah 3, 16 and 17. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, meaning like they should no longer be obsessed with it or worry about it. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. Hmm. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall gather to it, 
uh, into to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. Hmm. So here's an interesting thought. If Jeremiah is saying that in Jeremiah 3, it shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed, was the ark already gone when Jeremiah was saying that? Hmm. That is a good question because Jeremiah is prophesying before yeah. the Babylonian conquest, I right? think so. Huh. That, that or, or... It's a prophecy, because maybe. he's Because he's speaking prophetically, yeah. knowing that it will be lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. So our our old friend, Dr. Michael Heiser, rest in peace, Dr. Heiser, that we uh, we love around here. He wrote a book called I Dare You Not to Bore Me with the Bible. And here's what he says about that passage, Jeremiah 3, 16. He says, the passage plainly shows the ark would be absent because of the exile. Jeremiah 3.16 also insists that it shall not be made again, wording that strongly suggests the ark would be destroyed in the impending disaster. If the ark weren't destined for destruction, talk of rebuilding it would make no sense at all. Jeremiah 3.17 reinforces this point. The ark was God's throne. He sat between the cherubim of the lid known as the mercy seat. But the passage speaks of a day when Jerusalem itself would be God's throne. We read about this in Revelation 21, 2 through 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. A recovered Ark of the Covenant doesn't fit this picture. It would be a disappointment. Hmm. So well said, Dr. Heiser. So essentially... Just like if you if you clicked on this podcast to play it, thinking we were actually going to tell you where the Ark of the Covenant was, <laughs> it's, it's kind, <laughs> kind of a disappointment. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So basically, Doctor Heiser says that passage in Jeremiah three says, "No, it got destroyed right before the exile, and mm-hmm. it's never going to be real, rebuilt again because we don't need it. Because the promise of the restored kingdom is that the dwelling place of God is with man, not." Mm-hmm. And a chest between two cherub. It's it's with us that we will be the temple of God. Um, and so, yeah. Go so, ahead. So it's almost like the the Ark of the Covenant was just a placeholder hmm. in a mm-hmm. way until the real thing came. Is there a way in which we could understand? And maybe this is a stretch, but go with me. Like the. Um, New Testament says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if the ark was the place where the glory of God dwelt and everywhere the ark went, the atmosphere was changed, is it a picture of how we are to live our lives as sacred and set apart and holy as believers? Hmm. Perhaps. And influence yeah. influence the, the atmosphere around us, perhaps. Hmm. That'll, That'll preach. preach. That'll preach. I'm going to throw out my sermon for Sunday and write a new one based on that. So, yeah. 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 So interesting topic nonetheless, but I think at the end of the day, um, we know enough from the scriptures to know that while it is very fascinating and interesting to, you know, research the history and the theology of it, at the end of the day, we have something far better than the ark in the new covenant through Christ. Mm -hmm. And that the dwelling place of God is with man in the new Jerusalem. And so we're not going to need an ark. And so, uh, yeah, 
that's really good news. So you mean I should not continue watching inordinate amounts of time, you know, like YouTube videos <laughs> and, 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 and Bible studies on where that I mean, can be found? As long as you send them all to your pastor in all caps in an email. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. all caps. Like I would, I wouldn't read if it was just no, a normal, no. like normal mm-hmm. punctuation, but if it's all caps, I always if read it's all, all caps. caps. And then before it, you say something about you being the Lord's messenger. I'm going to read that email. Yeah. Yeah. And it always helps that if the thumbnail of the YouTube video, it always helps if there's a really, really poorly done Photoshop on <laughs> yes. that thumbnail that I can, I, you know, you can tell it's like, especially if there's like a lion wearing a tallit mm-hmm. or something and a fireball <laughs> coming out of this corner of the screen. And it says something about like, don't wait. The time mm-hmm. is near all caps. I would definitely yeah, watch that. Yeah. Definitely. hundred no, percent. Very hundred percent. If you find those videos, oh, send man. them to your pastor. <laughs> if you're not watching on YouTube, you see me shaking my head as I said that. So, oh man, that's oh, good stuff. Richard, yeah, we are, but we've been doing this for a while, mm. so we know how it works. Mm. Well, thank you guys for listening, and thank you for whoever asked us this question. The last episode, this opened up a whole uh, really interesting topic to dive into and study. So, thank you for that. As always, we love your questions. So, mm. if you got any more related to uh, this topic of study, be it the tabernacle or the ark or anything like that, man, send them away. We would love to hear them and take a crack at answering them. So that is indeed. Thank you guys again for listening and we will see you guys next time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe, share, and as always, send us a question. If you've got one, to the email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.